Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropeneurs who are committed to planetary purpose, or in other words, a holistic vision for planet Earth. My name is Julian Guderlei, and in today's episode, I'm hosting an interview with Lucian Tarnowski. Lucian is the founding curator and executive director of Chivana, an open global society committed to working on humanity's greatest challenges. Chivana creates tools and resources for movements, communities, and multi-stakeholder initiatives to maximize their impact on the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the SDGs, by 2030, really focusing on this next decade. Sivana offers as a public good, a community and collaboration platform, purpose built to achieve the SDGs or the SDG 17, the collaboration piece, by increasing flows of knowledge, talent and capital. Lucian also has a decade of experience in designing and empowering online communities that connect diverse stakeholders around a shared purpose. He's been honored as a young global leader by the World Economic Forum, and he's been an active attendee of Davos and other World Economic Forum meetings for many years. So with these words, welcome, Lucian. I'm stoked to, to chat with you, brother. Thank you so much, Julian. Pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, um, there's more to come. We just dropped in on that. Today, we'll, we'll have a, a fireside chat through the Zoom. Um, but I'd love to just drop in right away uh, into how you're how Sivana is fostering community ecosystems and how all stakeholders are really like, empowered to be brought together. Yeah, well, so I'll, I'll share with you the origin story to begin with, because I think it's a good place to start. So yeah, please do. Um, yeah, back in, back in um, 1958, my father, who was... Um, at the time, he was uh, setting up an adventure travel company, taking students overland to Asia because he believed that to prevent more wars, we needed more understanding and empathy between East and West. And uh, in 58, he was writing the first guidebook for Bali um, and he contracted polio and ended up um, spending, his, uh, spending two years in hospital and becoming paralyzed from the waist down from, from, from polio. And spent the rest of his life in a wheelchair. And um, in the 60s, he, that, the first thing is he realized that uh, so many, about 10% of the world's population were in some way handicapped and the vast majority didn't work. And so he realized that uh, the power people, despite their disability, through vocational employment training. And so in the 60s, he led this remarkable expedition where he covered a hundred thousand miles around the world in his wheelchair and um, it was on that expedition that he established um, th this deep friendship and um, I mean it deeper than that they, with with this remarkable man called Baba Ante uh, who was the protege of Gandhi and um, dad was his adopted son his spoiled son as Gandhi would say and Gandhi had transformed the lives of um, leprosy patients in India and the kind of identity of leprosy patients in India. Gandhi called him the conqueror of fear because he actually injected himself with leprosy, uh, proved that it wasn't contagious in the way we thought it was. Wow. And uh, yeah, yeah. That's, that's out there, yeah. Yeah, it's really, yeah. It's, it's so, so dad and he partnered uh, from the 60s, from 64, and they worked together for the rest of um, the rest of my father's life. My father's actually buried next to him in India, as they worked together for almost fifty years. And um, so, fast forward, I come along in 
1984. And I start traveling around the world with my father. I traveled to 70 countries growing up. And, um, and, and dad starts taking me to India from the age of nine to what's now the world's largest community around um, leprosy and uh, le world's largest community of leprosy patients and physically handicapped people that dad had been working with. And so I became fascinated in the role communities play in unleashing our collective potential, you know, unleashing our um, ability to um, go beyond ourselves, um, which is something ancient. It's something we've always done. And so coming to Savannah's journey through um, Brave New for a decade, which is my previous company, which basically designed digital communities, multi-stakeholder communities, they're called networked improvement communities, to help different organizations uh, from public, private, and social sector, uh, as well as individuals come together around societal challenges. And um, it was really with that that we saw um, this incredible planetary need and opportunity right now uh, that um, the sustainable development goals have been created as the best map we've got. You know, we, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to recreate them. The, the world was different back in 2015 when they were launched. Um, Very much so. And so they're the best map we've got, perhaps the best kind of um, achievement for humanity's shared purpose ever created. And, um, for the and time being, I totally for the time being, for the yeah. time being, absolutely. And, um, and so, you know, it, it, for me, the future's about being, being achieved, not predicted. And mm. um, because we have a map, because we have these essentially like OKR, subjective key results for the planet, um, you know, I think now we need to coordinate into, into a team of teams. And the best way to do that is to go back to the future is to go back to how we've always done it, which is through communities and, um, and these networks, these trusted networks. And so what Savannah is doing is really creating that infrastructure and that ecosystem for us to come together around the delivery on the SDGs. So, so much more I could say on that, but we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at yeah, that. Yeah, and I'm fascinated already by it, right? I think uh, for one, like the background story is amazing. It, it, it makes me think of my own background story and how unknowingly prepared me for who I am today, traveling the world, more than 50 countries, learning all these languages and needing to be a chameleon to understand. And, and, and often I was like, I'm so confused by this. What am I even doing? Um, but it helps me now to have the lens on the world that I, I do. And so I'm, I love that. And this is part of your story and your journey as well, even through your dad already, which is, yeah, amazing. Mm -hmm. um, Lucian, what I would love to understand is, just to understand Sivana a little bit better in 2019, now going into 2020, like what are some of the um, very real life examples where it already connects um, for a higher level of collaboration? Sure, yeah. And just, just, just before I answer that, what you just shared about your life experience, you know, I really believe that each one of us are being initiated through our life experience, that through our own lens of experience is how we see the world and that informs what is our purpose? What is our Dharma here? And uh, the more we can understand um, what it is we're here for, the more we can show up in community and have that, have that kind of humble servants, hum but at the same time be audacious about it, you know? Um, so I do believe, you know, I have deep, I like that. 
trust and faith that everybody needed for this planetary civilization moment is being trained right now. We're in, we're in the trenches, we're getting trained. And it's almost like the planet has a, um, its own immune system. I love one of my favorite principles is the hermetic principles, which date back to ancient Egypt. Take them. Greece. Hermetic principles, very much yeah. so. If you haven't heard about them, make sure you look them up or drop me a message after and I'll send you a PDF. The hermetic principles. The hermetic principles. So amazing, right? Like these yeah. initiation texts that have been like secret for thousands of years and now through the internet. If you dig up a little bit, if you, if you know how to search Google powerfully, you have access to the depth of the universe. Exactly. And, and one of those is as above and so below. And, uh, and, and, you know, I, I love this moment that I think about this as a, in the same way as the human body has an immune system. And that immune system is the kind of front lines is our T cells are going to fight infections. It makes total sense to me that the planet would have an immune system and, and that we as individuals working on this shift like planetary T cells. Um, and, and actually one of the things, the metaphor goes even deeper. One of the things that makes T cells effective at fighting the infections and the diseases that they fight is that they carry the imprint of the, of, of the infection. Mm. So interesting when we think about our own traumas, our own experiences, our own shadows. And as we integrate that is actually, that's what makes us effective as planetary T cells. So, you know, I love this metaphor. So <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to share that bit. But so back to the question on Savannah. So I said to understand Savannah in 2019, there's really three aspects to it. Mm -hmm. um, Savannah, the digital environment, the Savannah's convening and Savannah house, which I'll talk about. And then there's the events that Savannah has been kind of gathering the, the greatest party of all time, which I'll, 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 I'll finish with. Um, so firstly, number one, the Savannah platform. So our experience that over the last 10 years has been building digital infrastructure to help communities coordinate. What we have created with Savannah is an open source ecosystem to do that. So we went out and we looked at all of uh, over 10 years of looking under the hood of at least a thousand multi-stakeholder communities. We created, a, if you like, a kind of shopping list of what communities need, what networks and movements need to be effective. And we went and put that list together and um, looked at all of the open source tools that are available that met, met those needs. And we ended up creating a open source ecosystem that started essentially as a, a collaboration suite, a productivity, a project management environment. And from that, um, we've integrated things like video conferencing, uh, wikis, um, digital wallets, um, project management tools um, to basically enable communities to operate and operate seamlessly and communicate effectively and tap into their collective intelligence. And from there, what we're doing is we're doing two steps further. We haven't got there yet in 2019. But we're, we're looking to create a, what we're calling a, um, a data commons. And this, when you think about the SDGs, there's hundreds of thousands, if not millions of stakeholders already in the field working, but they're working in silos. And there's no, there's no, common, there's no common place to pull data and apply intelligence. 
You know, so if we think about the commercial world, you know, that th this happens all the time, like data intelligence being applied to optimize ads, to sell people more shit they don't need. Yeah. When it comes to actually solving the biggest challenges of the planet, we haven't done that. <laughs> and it, it, we scratch our heads and go, why, what, why have we not organized the data of those in the field around the biggest problems we face? Because it's always been boggling my mind too, man. Not to interject there, but like I just watched yeah. the Sadhguru interview and Sadhguru was, was saying along the line of like, those with evil intentions have mastered the media from day one and all the media from cinema to TV to the internet to data. And those with good intentions somehow are still stumbling around in it. So like this is, this is very, very, very much like one of the most important pieces, I believe. It's the narratives and then also the data that actually connects us to understand there is not just infinite potential, but there is like so much possibility that's like ready to be ignited, right? Ready to, to just say these two people need to meet and your two businesses can collaborate and here's the data proof of it. And here are the hundred thousand people you will impact. Absolutely. And that, and that is people are, people are like thirsty. They are, they are thirsty for this. They're, you know, they're yearning for how, like where I care about the world. I care about my community. I care about these problems. I care about sex trafficking. I care, I care about gender equality. I care about ending violence. I care about ending poverty. These people are deeply passionate, but they don't know where to plug in. You know, they don't know where to show up. They don't know how they can be effective. And it's of such like need. And there's so many people wanting to contribute, but it's really hard to know where to. And the fundamental problems that Savannah is looking to create an ecosystem to address. So the data commons see that as like core infrastructure mm. uh, and a protocol layer that allows any organization that's working on the SDGs to pull their data to start making better from that. And then the third piece of that, once you have a data commons and a matching engine to, to start needs and, 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 and opportunities to start matching people to projects, projects to capital, capital to outcomes. Um, and, and so this is, think of this as like, you know, the Google recommendations for, um, for, for, for planetary, for a planetary civilization. Yeah. Planetary purpose as I, as I yeah, started exactly. calling it a little while ago, it, it metaphorically, what I'm seeing are like on ramps to help right? Like on ramps in the sense of like, here's someone willing and wanting to support, but then they're like, I don't know how to jump from where I am to where I am needed. But the on ramp needs to be built this ramp where it's like, Oh, it's actually just 10 feet away from you. Here you go. It, it's right in front of you. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, that's the, um, that's the digital ecosystem. Um, and, and, you know, we're, we're on our way to, um, maturing that ecosystem we have numerous clients already using it we have 100 million healthier lives which is um, one of the largest healthcare collaboratives in the world around population health so that community brings together over 600 um, stakeholders around um, in, in, in 14 countries and growing but mostly the US and between those 600 healthcare organizations from public private and social sector they serve over 100 million people every year uh, and so the purpose of that community is around how do we um, go from a sick care system to a healthcare system where we're scaling innovations around 
around keeping people healthy in the first place, preventative health, population health. Um, so that's one example. And there's, there's other examples of communities we're, we're working on um, that, that are part of what we're calling the League of Extraordinary Communities. Nice. Um, but that's the first piece. So part one, digital in infrastructure. Part two, physical convening. Um, so what we saw is that having spent 10 years in the trenches of digital collaboration, we saw that so often there is a big silo between what happens in the digital world and what happens in the real world. And we knew that this was really important to learn uh, um, from and, and, and to integrate because we need, our, we need the digital world and the, and the real world integrated. And so what we did was take, take on this remarkable house I'm sat in right now called Savannah House in San Francisco. It's on Alamo Square, which is the heart of the city. It's actually built Epic, yeah. on the well of the Ohlone people. Literally, there's a wellspring under the house. And so it's the original, the Ohlone people, the um, uh, people indigenous to the, the Bay Area. And um, William Filmer, uh, who's a remarkable man who built the Golden Gate Bridge, he was the president of the Golden Gate Bridge project, as well as being the first grandmaster of the Masons um, here in San Francisco. He chose this site to build his house, uh, which we sit today. And um, it was, it, it's, it's this, you know, I walked in and was like, this is a, this is a, a, a um, icon of the past, a relic of the future and a portal for the present. Um, and really what Savannah House is, it's a, it's a gathering place for the transition team. It's what I describe as a prototype 2030 planetary embassy, because um, I believe every major city around the world should have planetary embassies. These I love it, man. I've been dreaming those up for years. I think a lot yeah. of you people listening right now have had those same dreams. Like, I like that you call them planetary embassies, right? Places where ideas, connection, collaboration can thrive and the convergence happens instantly because we're received in our fullness and multidimensionality as well as just our, our openness without needing to fear each other but can see each other as just a, a reflection of genius in that sense. Totally. And, and, and these are, you know, in that sense, there's a, there's, they're, they're, they're like lighthouses. They're, they're, they're places that can raise us into that group that which we, we, you know, our highest potential to remember who we are and remember what we're here to do. Uh, and so we've created what we, what we hope to be one of the longest dining room tables of San Francisco. Um, we fit the other day, we fit 90 people around one dining room table, one very long dining room table wow. <laughs> for a 2030 dinner where we told stories of how we did it, um, which I'm going to talk about in a moment, but the, the, the dream here is that what we're creating with this physical space is a prototype that we can then start to establish in cities around the world that will have relationships with bioregions around them to rapidly prototype and scale innovations that relate to planetary solutions. And cities are a great way to roll this out. And, um, and so we're thinking of this being over the next 10 years, these physical spaces that serve the purpose of bringing people together, bringing people that are holding, if you like, puzzle pieces, uh, pieces of solutions. Because nobody, what we know is that the challenge that we face is so complex. No individual, no organization, no nation, no city, um, no organization of any kind has the solution 
um, um, ha has the holistic solution. Yeah, um, and I mean, that just makes total sense, right? Because yeah. if you think of it, that's the old operating system where we're trying to create the best, the crop of the crop, the, the leader, the, the one who shows us. And, and all those are somewhere maybe helpful, I'd say, but, but it's, it's just an old operating system that, that won't really solve our current situation or achieve any of those 2030 goals. I feel like very simplified, I would say, if, if all the world leaders would come together and say, hey, let, let's just pause for a second. We're just wanting to really collaborate to make this happen. This is literally what, what they'd need would be those convergent spaces where we can start gathering and making it, making it happen by, by leveraging each and every individual's power and, and, and genius and gift. Absolutely. That, that's it. That's it. It's going from hero to hive. You know, it's, it's, it's nice this one. recognition that we, we have, the pendulum has swung too far in the favor of the individual and it needs to come back in the favor of the collective. And we need to prove that cooperative advantage outperforms competitive advantage. And so the, these are spaces to go do that. Um, and actually, you know, the dining room table is the oldest technology we've got. You know, it's like, yes, we're in the digital infrastructure and designing digital dining room tables, but there's nothing as effective at building trust and inviting people to come together and break bread together and be in communion together. Totally. It's like the fireplace and the dining room table. Those are the two original places for human tribes, right? Yeah. Every dinner we have, we light the fire. <laughs> so it's, we've got an old fireplace here, which is you know part of the magic that we create in this kind of vortex that is savannah house um but it's it's you know we do other things like there's a podcasting studio downstairs next time you come we'll be sat there in person and we're doing we you know really want to bring people into an experience of 2030 and that goes to the third piece um so what savannah's doing as well is really kind of um sharing a story uh, a story that we believe can unify us and this, I should even start with this one because it's, you know, first and foremost, I believe that, you know, my role here is as a storyteller, as, as someone that is, spends a lot of my time looking into the future, thinking about what it can be. And I've got a deep faith that we've done this, that we've, that we, that the, 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 the transition team, it is successful in the future and that the band is getting back together, if you like. I'm, I'm with you on that. We're remembering that we're assembling for that in this lifetime, right? In, in, in more esoteric or spiritual words, you might even want to say that in the vastness of the multiverse, might have already done it on other planets and other lifetimes. And we're now remembering how to do this in the human suit, in the human body glove. And what an honor that is, you know, what an honor, what a, what a time to be alive, you know? Yeah. It's like the greatest show on the galaxy is planet Earth right now. You know, it's like Game of Thrones final season and like everybody showed up, they packed the stadiums, it's going to be 11 billion tickets sold. And you know, it's like, it's like, will we make it? Won't we make it? It's like, you know, how are we going to tackle climate change? How are we going to tackle all these issues? There is actually inviting us to pop into a greater level of consciousness, a greater level of communion with each other, a greater level of oneness. And so this is the, this is the third piece of, of, that Savannah's been doing, which um, you know, I, 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 love to, I love to call the, 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 this, this planetary hat trick. 
um, which are kind of three big ideas, for example, that we share. We share lots of ideas, but three big ideas is one is um, the greatest party of all time. You know, if you want to change the world, throw a better party. And um, so we've been consistently throwing parties in 2030 and inviting people to the greatest party of all time where we will bring together people we brought like 500 people came together in Davos and it was like one in one ahead by um, 30 using at the World Economic Forum this year. Uh, that's where we began this. And um, what we'll do is invite the most influential leaders um, to um, the stage initially to share as themselves in 2030 what happened. And, uh, and they tell the story of what, of, of, of how it happened. And these are the people that are actually creating the organizations, um, you know, the, from the Dean of Said Business School to the CEO of Modern Meadow to, um, you know, the, the leader of the, one of the largest funds in Africa talking about how it happened. And so they have immense credibility with the people that they share this with. And then what we do is this simple, um, it's called hypostition. Uh, the simple, uh, it's like NLP applied to a group, um, positive psychology, if you like, where we invite everybody at the party to then embody themselves, their own story of themselves in 2030. Um, and, and everybody creates a shared reality that is set in a time where we've achieved the sustainable development goals and we tell stories of how we did it. And it's really profound. And it's actually got this wonderful origin story that goes back to um, JFK and a speech he did to Congress in 1961, where he said, by the end of the decade, a man on the moon and bring him safely back to earth. And James Webb was running NASA. He's James Webb's who got us on the moon. Um, and many, many people were involved, but he was leading that. Le leading that. And he basically um, knew that we didn't know how to get to the moon. So he threw the biggest party NASA had ever thrown as a celebration of landing on the moon in 1961. And I heard this story and I could just imagine his minds of America at the time coming together and being like, this, 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 I, I'm being invited to bend history here. And, and I'm with the belief that we've already done it which I think is a key, um, you know, it's a key piece of like, it's a key, it, it, it's a key to actually making it happen. You know, believing that it's possible is a key to making it happen. So, so that, 100%, yeah. I'm so with you, man. I mean, I mean, in a sense, we're, we're like in a, a think tank silo there because I'm already, um, you're already preaching to the choir in this very moment, right? Uh, let me ask you a question then that I, I just want to like, um, do my best to stretch into the perspective of those who are who may be saying okay this is this is cool but like you're crazy man what are you what are you doing so so what do you say to those people i i, I am i am crazy yeah stay hungry stay foolish for those of you who are not watching the video he just held up a poster that says stay hungry stay foolish yeah, yeah. 
So you believe, you believe your own craziness in the sense that you like, you trust that it's there for a reason, right? You trust that you've done so much internal work and you're following the guidance that's grounded in real life as like all of your work shows and exemplifies that the edge that is crazy is actually what we need to do. In my words, I would say we need newness to experience innovation. We can't get there by doing the same old stuff. Like it's just not going to happen. Yeah, and, and and just just trust that you know, I, as Jung says, as Carl Jung, he's one of my favorites. Mm. Said people don't have ideas; ideas have people. And something I believe is that wow. we're evolving in equal measure, genetically and mimetically. And what I mean by this is that you know we're very we're all very aware that we're evolving, you know, as as a, as a planet, genetically through biology. But what I think a lot fewer people are aware is that there's a realm of ideas. Mm. There's, there's the, this, this thing called the noosphere. Yeah. And the noosphere is this, the, the, in the same way as above and so below, in the same way as individuals have ideas, there's ideas that sit in the collective realm. And this is a theory that um, Pierre de Chardin um, developed. Um, and it's a theory that explains why certain people will have exactly the same breakthrough discovery in different places in the world at the same time, that certain ideas mature. And so I think that's, we're at that one of those points right now where certain people, because of their position and you know, initiation, if you like, we were talking about before, mm -hmm. have gotten to noospheric pole positions. They're actually at the place where they can pick apples as they fall, you know, pick the kind of fruit of the collective genius that is in this realm of ideas. They, uh, and, and they become well put, ideas, you know, for, for that. And so this is where, when ideas come to me, I have great, like, I don't see them as mine. I see them as like um, energy forms that um, when certain ideas land on me, like I was talking about this planetary hat trick, one, the, party idea to what Bucky called the new world game. Mm. You know, this is, this is a powerful idea to create a new set of game rules to um, create the greatest game ever made to bring people into birthing a planetary civilization, birthing a, a moment in time where we've created abundance for all. Because actually we have the capacity, we have the resources, we have the know-how to create a system where we have universal healthcare, universal education, you know, um, universal access to basic needs. Um, so there's no reason why we shouldn't do that other than our own limitation of our, our minds. Um, and so the third thing is this, like this idea that came to me, which is a, a, a new planetary language. Like nobody's attempted to create a planetary language since- um, Esperanto? Uh, since Esperanto, which is over a hundred years old, mostly based in European languages. And frankly, spoken language. Speaking is pretty limited, actually, as a communication channel, because I have to wait for you to finish until I can start. And you have to wait till, you know, it's in, I believe that my daughter will communicate in many, many more uh, me, mediums than the spoken word. And so what we're thinking about as a planetary language is a language that can be seen and felt and heard and that will wear fully immersive bodysuits that will communicate emotions and communicate in every sense we've got in a way that will make the spoken word feel like um, 
you know, like, like hailing a taxi, you know? <laughs> and so, so there's this thing, there's ideas that are really powerful that like every great civilization has been defined by their language. And now we're living in a time where we don't have to take for granted that we've had, that we've learned this language from birth. We can, we can expand our horizons and we can say, actually, language is the original operating system and we're getting hacked. We're running Windows 98 and we need an operating system upgrade. And so, you know, let's, let's. This is so fascinating, brother. I, I like, you know, there's two things that come up right away just to like um, give, give an instant reflection also on it. So one is, as you said, the personal initiations, my, my journey had all to do with learning multiple operating systems, language kits, uh, German, English, Spanish, Portuguese, Italian, French, right? Because that's how I was able to, uh, learn about cultures, communities, people, and realize us as a human species, we have so much more in common than, than that differentiates us, right? Like it was a total clarity for me for the last 20 years. And everywhere I went, I realized that it might not be a clarity for the consensus or most people, but it's definitely the direction we're going. That's, that's the personal piece on the initiation towards it. And like, yeah, you're totally right. Language is actually the last piece about the language kit. The first is always body language, emotions, and the unspoken. Because when you don't speak a language and you're in a new culture for everyone who can relate, it, it's a very interesting situation because you kind of, you think your head, your head brain is like, oh, I don't know how to communicate. But your heart and your eyes and your spirit is communicating nonstop. And you see open doors and closed doors. You see receptivity and you see blocks everywhere. Because this is kind of how you're, um, meandering, moving around space at that time, right? And, and so it's almost like that's more evolved almost than the language because the language then just kind of receives what the, the other head brain is thinking and saying. And so that's like the one side, which is the personal initiation, but then on a collective field, and this is something I, I share sometimes, and I'm, I, I'm by no means an expert on this. Um, there's, there's lots of uh, visionary technologists out there that, that have like really clear predictions for this next decade. But we're talking about 2030, which is 10, 10 years from now, um, as we're having this interview, the 2020s, this decade, is very well going to bring us a technological evolution that is unparalleled even to the last 30 years, right? Uh, meaning more and more interconnectivity, Internet of Things, meaning like literally thought to screen transfer, which I know a lot of companies have been working on where your mind is basically being projected onto a screen instead of using your like, fingers and your, your, your meat sticks in that sense. And, and so beyond that, there's going to be so much of this where, where I think we're, we're leaning into that already. So as you're saying that, I feel like we're receiving from the year 2030 as well, because it's going to be so much more normalized. I don't foresee us using cell phones and screens the way we're doing forever. Mm. It's just, it doesn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. And, and, you know, often people start from history and this present moment to predict the future, which is an obvious way of doing it, but you can also do it the other way. And this is where hyperstition, this, this, this really powerful concept, which is when a group shares a belief system, shares a reality, they create the feedback loops that accelerate towards the implementation of that reality. So right now with Black Mirror and you know, many other narratives of the future, it's mm. negative. And so we're hyperstition at- is the word. And we're, 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 we're literally collectively manifesting a dystopia uh, right now. And that's like, that, that's just, I didn't like that. <laughs> it's just got to change. Call me crazy, but I don't want that. Yeah, I, don't. Um, I think it's not good enough. 
is not good enough. We can do better, right? And um, and so you know, there's a there's a um, this year was my eleventh year at Davos, and there's a there's a report there's a kind of um, report released every year that I pay close attention to. Uh, it's the Edelman Trust Barometer. And it's a bit like a kind of bellwether report for the state of the planet's trust in current leadership. And this year, amazingly, 80% of those surveyed, and it's a global survey, 80% of those surveyed basically believe that the system is broken, that it's not working for them. And what smells like the dawn before violence to me is that two out of three people surveyed believe the future is going to be even worse. So when you wake up oh, to wow. that we're living in a world where, um, where, where, where 80%, four out of five people on the planet believe the system's broken, not working for them, and two out of three think it's going to get even worse, you realize that we are like Houston, we have a problem. We have an emergency situation that is uh, more than anything else a crisis of hope, uh, a, 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 war, a war on trust. Yeah. So when you realize this, and you know, I, I kind of have almost inherited PTSD. My father was a, a, you know, was a prisoner of war in the Second World War. You know, he was starved and um, you know, was on the run for two years. You know, he took his first shot at the Nazi when he was a child. You know, it was like he, he had a, a very, very traumatic war experience. And so my father always raised me with society's one missed meal from anarchy. Like, the, the veil of security that we have right now is incredibly thin and it can go wrong so quickly. And so when you have this situation, you realize that we need to start to emergently respond yeah. and create a better story, let the greatest story win. Because the story we're telling right now of the future isn't good enough. And so, and so this is where I think there is a, a, a really important need to use the opportunity of 2030 to bring people together and unify people to say that this is our goal. We are going to deliver on the SDGs by 2030. Mm -hmm. We're going to birth a planetary civilization that isn't a moment in time, but it is an ongoing, this is a cathedral project of the 21st century. And it, we're going to continue, will not stop um, in 2030. We're just getting started. We're just getting started and it's going to be glorious. You know, it's going to be majestic. We will be we will remember who we are and yeah. remember the possibility and we and we need this to be inclusive you know this isn't about the one percent this is about everybody and you see and this is where the consciousness shift is so apparent at this po point that you so eloquently led us to because when you look at the current dire situation of what we collectively call climate change um i think from the past into the now it you can only predict it as doomsday or last minute saving possibly needing to flee to mars which all of those are not options that i'd endorse or want to emphasize but it's only because you're predicting it from the past and from all the negativity projected into the future when you actually receive an emergent field and future possibilities as you say like you let the best story win in that sense it means a complete new organization and reorganization of our of our abilities as humankind right and and so that might be hard to imagine for those who are still imagining from the past, but it's, it's really the only way. And it's really also the evolution. Like when people talk about climate change in private, I often like to say, hey, maybe we, we can pause for a second and just change the narrative. I don't think it's about climate change. It's about human collaboration, yes or no. Totally agree. 
Yeah, totally agree. And actually, you know, it's climate change is, you know, one, one way of thinking about it is we have created all this manure, you know, all of this fertilizer for us to pop into that which we can be. And, you know, we're recognizing that we're destroying our home, um, destroying each other. We're destroying generations. We have been conquered by a failed story, you know? Like that's the reality. This extractive story has served its purpose to get us to this point, but we need to go and kind of declare a new story and go and say, this isn't going to be the way that we don't want to live in a world where we can only go outside an hour a day. You know, those like we, we need to rapidly think about how do we decarbonize the atmosphere? How do we make sure there isn't more, plastic in the ocean than there are fish how can we make sure that we aren't you know dealing with um more than half the planet you know in famine and not having access to food and water and all the things that can come from it mm. you know, we, we this is this is a this is testing of who we are and as long as we're thinking about this as the age of the lone wolf that my purpose here is to start a company and to you know be in competition with everyone else and to be this on this hero's journey we're missing the greater story which is this is about the collective quest rather than the hero's journey you know yes the hero's journey is a story told within the collective quest but let's not let it overshadow yes Lucian, this was already such an enlivening and an amazing conversation a great first drop in i know we'll get to sit together again in sivana house really soon um, so thank you so much for, for asking those questions, for like eloquently elaborating on what, what your mission within the puzzle of the collective is and also how, how we can really empower, encourage and inspire all of the amazing people listening um, to, to share more, to collaborate more, to show up within their hero's journey, but then also to show up in the greater puzzle. Is there anything else you'd like to share at this moment right now? Just, uh, um, I'd love to finish with a, a parable that I adore. It's, it's, I call it the humble audacity parable. Um, and um, imagine yourself to be a donkey. And uh, you're a particularly famous donkey. You lived um, just over 2,000 years ago. And so j j just shy of 2,000 years ago. And uh, you had this very important mission to walk into Jerusalem and the crowds are cheering you and they're, they're, they're um, you know, the crowds are gathered and they're putting palm, um, palm leaves in front of you. And you are like, got this donkey swagger going, I am the greatest donkey ever to live. I am like, I am famous. They'd love me. Um, they, no, never again will be a donkey as famous as I. And uh, the moral of this parable is don't be an ass recognize that what the crowds are cheering is Christ riding on our back, you know, and, and, and by Christ, what I mean is that, 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 the, the sacred riding on our back. And that if we relate to our ideas as like ideas riding on our backs, mm. as opposed to owning them, what we can do is we can serve them with humble audacity because we're not being the ass. And I'm often the ass by the way, but it's, it's, it's this recognition that, ideas really do come through us not from us and so if we recognize and serve those ideas that come to us i think we'll change the world boom i love it thank you so much for your time thank you for sharing the humble audacity parable i really like that 
And mm -hmm. um, yeah, until we talk again. Thank you so much, Julian. that's that another episode of green planet blue planet podcast i hope you truly enjoyed this one and received some insights knowledge and a form of learning that you can directly apply to your life into your relationships or maybe even into your business and the way you show up for the world because this is a movement and we're all part of it very much so and we're in this together we're here to create a world of a triple bottom line where you win i win and the entire planet wins we're raising consciousness together, and you know that. That's why you're listening. That's why I love you. So make sure to share the love. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Invite a friend to listen to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast. And if you have an idea who else you'd like me to interview, make sure you reach out and send me a suggestion. Definitely check out greenplanet-blueplanet.com, the website to the podcast. I've created a lot of different offers for you, free content, free meditations for you to amplify your connection to self, the state of social impact in the world, and for you to connect and listen to who you could support of the people that I actually interview because their missions are ongoing and a lot of them need more collaboration. And after more than 100 episodes now with some of the world's leading social impact experts, I have synthesized my most inspired learnings and takeaways to create coaching and mentorship programs for you and the people around you. Let me share with you about planetary purpose coaching and mentorship experiences. If you're in a space in your life where you're ready to level up to amplify who you are, what's coming through you and what you're doing to give your gift to the world, then I would love to hear from you. And I'd love for you to apply to one of my private mentorships or group mentorships. Because getting all of the juice, all of that life force that's in you out into the world is something you deserve and the entire world around us deserves. Also, I work with people who are entirely new to this, to the topic of planetary purpose or the topic of meditation, the topic of inside evolution and revolution. And if that's you and you're ready to step out of the ordinary and into creation, or if you know someone who is totally ready for that, make sure to check out the website or share the website. And you can also always shoot me a message on Instagram. I'll definitely read it and get back to you. Because, like, th guys, this is real life. Let's be in touch and let's create this together. Last but not least, there's a few different group experiences I host, both in person and online. All of them are quantum learning environments, and I'm happy to tell you more. So simply inform yourself and stay connected, because whatever resonates with you, I'm here to support you and bring out more purpose into the world. And with that being said, wherever you are in the world, make sure to be you, show up all the way, be all in. Connect with someone today, make them smile, have yourself a stellar day. Lots of love to you, and until soon.